Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Playsheet Podcast. I'm Charles, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Joe. Hello, Charles. Joe, we've got to the end now of Super Wildcard Weekend. How super was it for you? You know what, right? We always come on the show and we're normally pretty chipper and we talk very enthusiastically about the football we've just seen. Can I be really honest? I don't think it was that good a weekend in terms of the playoff games we saw, in terms of the matchups we had. Uh, you know, it, it was all right, but I don't know whether it was super. No, I'm, I'm with you on that. There, there were quite a few blowouts that made games sort of largely uninteresting at points. And then even the games that were close. I mean, you know, we, we called it last week when we both said we were probably most looking forward to uh, the Bengals and the Raiders game. And that, that was the closest by far. Beyond that, it was largely disappointing in parts and, and a little bit underwhelming. Throwing it out there, do we need seven playoff teams from each conference? The seventh seeds, both of them this week, got absolutely blown away by the second seeds. The Eagles got destroyed by the Bucks. I know the scoreline said it might have been a two-score game, but it was never a two-score game. The Eagles were never in that game. And then the Steelers, again, got absolutely wiped by the Chiefs. They might have put 21 points on the board, but that was primarily garbage time scoring. Both seventh seeds got absolutely, to coin Rio Ferdinand, murked. Do we need seventh seeds in the playoffs? <laughs> it's a very good question. I mean, yeah, it, it was very disappointing from that point of view. I think in previous seasons, we have seen upsets. And for that reason alone, maybe it's worth keeping them in there. I suppose also as well, this season has, we both said, probably been one of the closest seasons we've seen in a long, long time in terms of that build up and that excitement going into that final game week. There are a lot of teams that still had a chance to get into the playoffs. So having those teams, it does make it exciting for a regular season perspective. But yeah, it was not a good look for those seven C teams. I mean, I think we were we both expected the Steelers, right? But I, I just I thought there'd be a little bit more coming from the Eagles. But you're absolutely right. The the end scoreline was deceptive, and in both situations, it was a lot of garbage time scoring. I think. Well, let's put it this way, mate. You've said there's been upsets in the past, but we've only had two years of a seventh seed. It was only introduced for the 2020 playoffs. A seventh seed has never won a game. So last year we had the Colts who got beaten by Buffalo, and that's the closest that seventh seed has ever came. They came within three points. The other seventh seed were the Bears, and they got destroyed by the Saints. Both seventh seeds got destroyed this year. I understand your point, but it makes the end of a regular season a little bit more exciting because you've got more teams who are in the mix. But is it at the cost of the excitement of the playoffs? And also as well, we're seeing second seed teams who are getting injuries, who are picking up problems where they don't have that buy are we sacrificing the health of quality players again just with this extra team to get in the playoffs yeah I think it's a really fair point and maybe it is well I was about to say maybe it's something that the league reviews but I think from a monetary point of view they won't yeah no I'm just kind of like throwing this out there because it's out the bag now we're never going back to six teams I think it was part of a deal to go to a 17 game season that the teams negotiated that extra seventh playoff spot but let's put it this way if we were back in 2019 Tristan Wirfs and Ryan Jensen wouldn't have been on the field they'd have been in a bye week and a team who's played well enough to be the second seed 
wouldn't be risking absolute key pieces like the Bucks had to on the weekend just past just for the sake of beating a Eagles team who never really had a chance. So, look, it's never going back, but I think we're starting to see issues with the seven seeds and what it implies and what it brings. Yeah, I think that's a totally fair point, Joe. I'm, I'm with you on that. And from, well, from one team with issues to another, I know that there's a certain team that you definitely want to talk about on this episode. I'm on a rager about the Cowboys, and Dak in particular, but I'm on a rager. I'm really, really not happy with comments after the game. I think it's outrageous, to be honest. I think it's probably one of the most outrageous things that's happened all season. And I want to talk about Charles. And so it's a balanced and fair discussion here. I feel that deep down, you're probably going to agree with what I'm going to say. Can you at least try to be devil's advocate here and just kind of point out anything you think that maybe I'm being unreasonable about and maybe Dak and the Cowboys aren't? Let's go for it. So I'm sure that everybody by now has seen how the game ended. The Cowboys ran a draw play, a quarterback draw, because the sidelines were covered. They expected to spike the ball and get another playoff. Unfortunately, the Cowboys did not give the ball to a referee. Despite doing everything he could do, it meant the referee couldn't touch the ball, meant that the Cowboys couldn't spike the ball in time. Clock went to zeros, game over, they didn't get the last playoff. Now, a few things here. First of all, the draw play, extremely high risk. Extremely, extremely high risk. And they started that play with something like, what, 14, 15 seconds on the clock? You're on a draw play. You have to be absolutely spot on in execution with what you're doing here. Now, point one, Dak was not spot on with his execution. He ran for five yards too many. If he'd have stopped at the 30, the 30 to the 25 yard line makes hardly any difference whatsoever. But he ran for five yards too many. It burned a key second there. And that's on Dak. Anything against that, Charles? No, you're absolutely right. And on average, when you look at how much time a play like that eats up, I think it averages out at about 14 seconds. You know that. So point one, extremely high risk. And if you're going to be high risk like that, get your execution intact. Next point, everybody knows, and I'm saying even down to pretty casuals here, when a play's up, you give the ball to the official. Like that's just absolute standard. This isn't like a preschool playground game where you don't have refs and you're placing the ball yourself you give the ball to a ref who do you think you are to think that you're the person in charge of spotting it and it where you spot it is going to be what's accepted now through the season we've seen so many examples of where there's been a qb slide where it's had to go to tape to replay the refs has had to take a look at it because it's quite hard to even call where a qb has slid right the cowboys thought that they had the right to call the mark themselves and didn't give the ball to a ref now there's two things there. There's the arrogance of thinking that you can just do that, that you can spot the ball where you like. And it's just the idiocy of not giving the ball to the official. Uh, like, like, Am I saying anything unreasonable there at all, Charles? No, and what's worse is there's two people involved in that action. There's Dak, who's giving the ball to his centre instead of the ref. And then there's the centre who's placing the ball. Both of you know that that is not protocol. Yeah, and then this is where I want to kind of come into something here. I'm going to move off that for a slight moment. If they're doing that, they must have done stuff like that in practice. Because teams that are practicing with detail will be thinking you've got to factor in the refs to how these draws work. You have to factor in refs. They're human. We have human refs who have to respond and react. You've got to factor that in. I genuinely believe that they've run a drill like this on a practice field and practiced it like this and then all patted themselves on the back and thought we've done a good job here. That in itself is poor coaching, but you can only put this down 
to coaching to be that boneheaded to run that play and run those actions like that. But you're right. You're absolutely right, Charles. There's two people who have been absolute fools there. And it's totally on Dak and the center. Next as well, the ref was doing everything he could possibly do to get to that ball, to touch the ball, to give him a chance. And to add to it as well, as I mentioned previously, it was a slide. It could have been spotted probably anywhere up to kind of four yards or where they actually put the ball down. I think that the Cowboys put the ball down somewhere on the 28, 29-yard line. The slide started somewhere around the 32, 31-yard line. So the refs could have looked at that and said, actually, you've got to come back four yards. The ref did everything he could to get a playoff. But the center and Dak blocked him, which again is on the center and Dak. If you have any thought at all that you know that the ref has to touch the ball and they claim they did afterwards, get out of his way. Anything to add there, Charles? 100%. 100%. Why aren't you looking over your shoulder? Like, if you know that the ref is coming up to set that ball, turn around, look behind you, clear a tunnel, let him get through. It was lunacy. I think that they are covering up when they say at the end, oh, yeah, we knew that the ref had to set it. I think that's an excuse because they didn't act like they were waiting for the ref to set that ball. Yeah. So let's just kind of break down everything that I've said there. Dax execution, poor, play calling, risky. Knowledge of the rules, moronic. Failure to get out of the ref's way, moronic. Everything here is the fault of either Dallas coaching, Dak Prescott, or other players in the offensive line. The refs did absolutely nothing wrong. Absolutely nothing wrong. The refs did all they could to assist the Cowboys in getting a playoff. The poor ref was trying to get through that offensive line, trying to touch the ball, everything he could possibly do. So then for the behaviour of Dak afterwards, to basically congratulate the fans on throwing missiles like people report it as trash but let's call it what we call it in europe throwing missiles at the refs um that gained a bit of goodwill after his injury and people felt sorry for him and people wished him all the best for me right now we don't swear on this pod but if i could i'd probably start it off with an f and follow it with Dak prescott he's absolutely killed it for me he's shown massive lapse of judgment for how he reacted to the referees. I think that as a quarterback, you're supposed to be a leader. And as a leader, you take responsibilities for the errors and mistakes you make. He made a whole series of errors there. And he's trying to put that on the refs who did nothing wrong. Again, Giles, devil's advocate me if you think that I'm being unreasonable there in any way at all. Well, I'm almost going to double down with you here, Joe, because I think what potentially makes this worse is that initially Dak thought that fans were throwing the missiles at the cowboy players and he condemned the fans he said that's disgusting behavior then when it was pointed out to him that actually they were throwing it towards the referee then he said oh well good on them then can you not just appreciate the pure hypocrisy of that in almost the same breath you were condemning a group of people for doing one thing to your players but then when you heard it was the referee oh well that's fine then let them carry on dude come on So to be fair and balanced, since recording this, Dak has come out and apologised for those comments that he made about the referees. So to read out his statement properly, he said, I deeply regret the comments I made regarding the officials after the game on Sunday. I was caught up in the emotion of a disappointing loss and my words were uncalled for and unfair. And the Cowboys have been called on so many things this season. They've got away with a fair few things as well. But, I mean, let's think back to that Raiders game on Thanksgiving. 
I think there was four DPI calls. Uh, I think they got all on the same player, Anthony Brown. But, I mean, that's how the Cowboys' secondary has been playing. You go back a little further as well when they played the Patriots into overtime. There was a face mask no call on Jacoby Myers during overtime, which the refs just totally missed. The refs have been missing stuff on this Cowboys team through the season. They have been calling a lot of stuff, and the Cowboys have acted like they've been victims. But it's been clear, egregious stuff that they've been getting called on. And there's been plenty that's been missed as well. I mean, just to finish this piece off, because I could rant about this Cowboys team all evening. It really has ground my gears. Even if they had got a playoff, right? You're still on the 28-yard line, and you need to get a playoff. And you need to run, what, five verticals. And you need to execute, and you need to throw a touchdown pass. None of that was guaranteed whatsoever. The odds were still hugely stacked against the Cowboys. Yeah, they're acting that had the refs somehow bent the rules for them to get a playoff if they'd have gone and won the game. Yeah. They're delusional. They're idiotic. I feel that I have a rep for hating on the Cowboys. I don't. I didn't. I didn't previously have a strong opinion on them. But man, this is really, really sour things for me. I've got a lot of ill will towards this Cowboys team. It's going to take a little while for this to, for this to simmer down. Yeah, just to finish that off very quickly, I think Dak played really poorly throughout the whole game. You know, this was arguably, you know, statistically the top offense in the NFL this season. Dak looked lost out there completely. And then on top of that, you've already touched on it briefly, but the amount of penalties that they got in this game and they weren't erroneous penalties I mean they had at one stage I think it was back-to-back false starts from the O-line what are you playing at all of the penalties the Cowboys got called on were egregious they were obvious you could not know the rules of a game and say that looks like a penalty it wasn't like the refs were being harsh on them and blowing their whistle up a lot we can talk about some other refing in just a moment but the Cowboys were obvious. They were obviously making these penalties. They shot themselves in the foot. And then to finish things, they blew their ankles off. This was all on the Cowboys, man. Yeah, it was. Joe, it was an upset that you called last week. I personally couldn't see it happening. I thought that the Cowboys were too strong offensively. But wow, they really dropped the ball on this one. So normally we kind of do our news and results and then do the previews afterwards. But I think this actually gives us a nice little link in to one of the previews we were going to talk about. So just... Bear with me on this one, Charles. Now, as you mentioned, the Cowboys have been one of the hottest offences in football in the weeks leading up to playoffs. I mean, week 17, week 18, they probably put near to 100 points on the board. I've not got the stats in front of me, but they scored a lot. Now, a team which was absolutely on fire in the wildcard weekend were the Bills. 21 of 25 passes, I think Josh Allen connected off. He, uh, He had more touchdown passes than he did incompletions. They were lights out. Can the Bills maintain that? Can the Bills maintain that? And can they carry that into the Chiefs game? I'm just asking because we were talking about the Cowboys who had been so hot. I mean, they threw a stinker out on Sunday evening. Do you see the Bills maintaining that kind of top offense form going into Arrowhead this week? Uh, Great question. I, I don't see why they couldn't. You know, the... Pats are defensively quite a strong team and they absolutely tore them apart this week. Chiefs have been a bit hit and miss defensively, but I think we can all agree, certainly the last four weeks or so, they've been firing on all cylinders, both on the offense and the defense. I think they will come up against a much sterner test in the Chiefs than they did the Pats, but whether allowing 
Allen can throw, he's got players that can catch. My goodness, if he's not connecting with Knox all the time and he's got digs there as well, I think they could go on and do it. I think they've got the potential to. I'm hoping that this is one of those matchups that we saw so few of in the Super Wildcard weekend. You know, I'm hoping this is a real shootout. I don't disagree with you, Charles, and you're absolutely right. This could be a great matchup. I think I'm just a little bit more pessimistic than you. Especially this season. This season with the inconsistency we've seen. Any team that plays to the standard the Bills did and has the emotional effects of that afterwards, playing at home, playing in that environment, winning a playoff game, what it means to the fans of the team, it's so hard to maintain that level for two weeks running for any team, for any team at all. Now, a team like the Bills, though, who have been... I think you could basically sum up their season with the word inconsistency. I'm just really, really not convinced that they can string two performances like the one we just saw together. And, you know, there's so much hype now. So many talking heads, every TV program, radio show, podcast you listen to, they're all saying about how the Bills have got to be favourites, how potentially the winner of the Bills Chief will go on to win Super Bowl. I'd need to see the Bills play like that again to start getting on that train. But, But I'm just not sure that they will. I feel it's more likely than not we'll see some kind of regression. I'm saying we're definitely going to see regression because Josh Allen isn't going to throw 21 of 25 five touchdown passes this week. It's just not going to happen. So it's just going to be how much regression are we going to see? And just from the evidence on show from the season just gone, the Bills are up and down, up and down. I'd watch out for all these people who are getting right on that Bills train. Let's just take stock for a moment. Let's see what happens. Yeah, and I think the other thing you've got to factor in is it is the playoffs. Everyone ups their game for the playoffs. But we've talked about the NFL being a league of adjustments. People have now seen Josh Allen at his best. You better believe that the Chiefs are reviewing that tape and they are looking at ways to limit his impact. Can I just say one thing, though? We're we're talking about Josh Allen a lot here. Devin Singletree. I think that has been the most important thing in the resurgence of this Bills team. You look at how the Bills got embarrassed by the Patriots in week 13 in that famous game where Mac Jones only threw three passes. The Patriots ran the ball and the Bills realised that they just were not focusing on running the ball as much as they should do. And then since that, the adjustment the Bills have made is to get Singletree a lot more involved in the offence. Now, I won't dwell on the point, Charles. I won our fantasy league. One of my players who saw me through the playoffs was Singletree. And for the last few weeks, he's been such a more prevalent part of this Bills team. I think that if the Chiefs are going to adjust and if teams are going to you know, come up with strategies to beat this Bills team, they've got to take a good hard look at Singletree. Yeah, I mean, we've said time and time again, if you want to help the person game, you've got to establish the run. That's how you achieve that. I totally agree. Singletary's come on massively in the last few weeks. But I do also think that Allen's rushing ability has also improved and he's become quite dominant in that area as well. So I think together, the pair of them have created a quite formidable run game in Buffalo that wasn't there at the beginning of the season. Well, it's having that run game there, though, allows Josh Allen to run the ball a lot more on things like RPOs. If you don't have an established run threat, then the RPO just won't work. You just won't have that option because the running back isn't a genuine threat that the defense have to spy or look out for. So everything is kind of linked there. But I agree. Let's cross our fingers. Let's hope it's a great game. Let's hope, you know, it's a 70-point 
celebration of football when we run out of fireworks at stadium by half time. Let's hope. <laughs> Let's see. But again, jumping back now, Charles, jumping back. It's just one of the things you mentioned where you were talking about the Bills and the Pats. You mentioned the Pats had a good defence, uh, especially in the first half of the season. But that has petered out. And I mean, they've lost four of their last five games. I think they've given up 140 points in that time. Now, for any other team, you'd start to say, hey, what's going on with the DC here? Is the DC up to scratch? Are his coaches up to scratch? But when the linebacker's coach and the safety's coach are the head coach's sons, where does that lead the Patriots? And how do things work when you employ family members and we're starting to get questions over how suitable they are for the job? I mean, yeah, that's a tricky one. It's certainly something that will be looked into. But I suppose the the other question you've got to ask is how much of a long leash does Belichick have? Because, I mean, he's an absolute hero for that organisation. How long does the organisation continue to overlook that? He's got a leash as long as the earth. And, you know, in fairness, stepping back from what was a disappointing end to their playoffs... Did anyone really expect the Patriots to make playoffs? You know, a transitional year. No, I year, don't think they did, yeah. Everything happened. A rookie quarterback. I mean, Belichick arguably overachieved this year. So his leash is huge. His leash is endless. But I think it could get to a situation where his sons are an embarrassment or a Achilles heel for him. Yeah, well, he'll have to be the one that, that fixes that if he wants to then because the organisation isn't going to step in and make that decision for him, is it? It's not, it can't, it's an awkward one. But we seem to talk about it about every two or three weeks, how just nepotism is is a plague and a cancer in the National Football League. It's been an issue for the Vikings. Interesting if it becomes an issue for the Patriots. Absolutely. Well, look, Joe, as we all know, I'm a Green Bay fan, so let's talk about what we love to talk about. Should we jump back to the refs very briefly <laughs> and go to that Bengals-Raiders game? Because we've got to talk about Whistlegate, haven't we? I'm all torn up on this one. Whereas the Cowboys, it's very easy for me to formulate an opinion on. I'm quite comfortable with my thoughts there. I don't know which side of the fence I sit on with the Bengals-Raiders Whistlegate. Now, I'm sure most listeners have seen what happened, but for those who didn't, Joe Burrow ran to the sideline as he was leaving the field, as his leg was lifted to leave the field. He threw a pass to Boyd. The pass was about 20, 25 yards three quarters of the way that the pass was through the air, so just as it was probably crossing into the end zone, the refs blew up. Boyd then caught the pass, touchdown was given. Now, I'm torn on this, Charles. Rules are rules, but would it have been more of an injustice had that play been taken away than the injustice that the Raiders kind of feel because the play should have been a do-over? Really interested to hear your view on this one. Yeah, so you see, I think this is where we're getting into pure philosophy now, because by the letter of the law, that should not have been a touchdown. It would have stunk for the Bengals because it should have been, and they'd have had a touchdown taken away from them because of an erroneous whistle. But they are the rules. Now, on the flip side of that, have they gained an advantage from that happening? I don't think they have. No one stopped on the play. It wasn't like the Raiders cornerbacks just suddenly quit running. You know, that everyone saw that play out. It would have been deeply unfair if that 
touchdown had have been scratched. And if they'd have brought back the play, could they have still gone on to score a touchdown in that drive? Highly likely. So I don't think any advantage has been gained by it. However, I think the moment that you start as a refereeing crew deciding to electively ignore certain rules because it doesn't make your team look good, I think that's where you start getting into quite dangerous territory. Agree with you. I'm so glad you said that because that's kind of the conclusion that I come to. The referees have have done what on the face of it seems pragmatic. It seems that they've done the fairest thing. It would have been a touchdown. It's their mistake. Take them out of the equation. That's what would have happened anyway. Everyone moves on. But all they're really doing really truly is protecting themselves because the right thing to have happened, as we said, is it's a do-over and the referees have screwed the Bengals out of a touchdown. Because like you say, you can't just pick and choose what rules you're going to apply and what rules you're going to adhere to just because of what you're making a decision is morally right about on the field. I think that's the only right answer to this. And it's not the most satisfactory answer because it leaves the Bengals getting screwed. But the Bengals, I think, should have got screwed there. And, And I hate to say that. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. And then briefly then, before we move on to our previews for next week, do do we want to touch slightly on on the Rams and Cardinals? Again, this was a game that I expected to be so much closer than it was. The Rams absolutely blew the Cardinals out of the water. And for me, Joe, it sort of goes back to what we were talking about a few weeks ago when we said it is worrying how much this Cardinals offense is suffering through the lack of somebody like DeAndre Hopkins when they're meant to have so many options in the passing game. You can't believe that one player can have that much of an impact on your team. And when you look at Kyler Murray's performance and the offense in this game, it was woeful. It's one of those things, right? I get the point you're making. And I know that there's this narrative about Hopkins not being in the team, but I'm I'm not sure if that's just a coincidence. And even if he was in the team, they'd have still been playing garbage. I can't see how Hopkins just being in this team would elevate it enough to make it as good as it should be, if that kind of makes sense. It makes perfect sense because you're not looking at players dropping balls here and going, oh, if Hopkins was there, he'd have caught it. That's not the issue in this scenario. No, it's play calling. It's too reliant I think on this Cliff Kingsbury air raid system still they don't seem to have a plan B if teams are getting on top of Kyler it's game over they can't go to a different base sets sometimes when teams feel that the other team is on top of them they can go to a kind of shell and play certain plays which they know will just get them out of sticky situations plays that they can ride on for a drive or two just to get a couple of first downs just to get a bit of momentum going for their team Cardinals don't seem to have that and if plan A isn't isn't going how they want and if that you know air raid throw everything kind of at it run four verticals isn't working then uh, they just continue with it while it continues to not work and we kind of saw that on Monday night. Is that a symptom though of DeAndre Hopkins is normally always finding separation and therefore there is always an option there but when you remove him the other wide receivers aren't giving Kyler the same options because the play that my mind jumps to immediately and you know which play I'm going to talk about is the is the pick six which Kyler Murray just floated up there because he was trying to avoid a safety he was in his own end zone he went through about four reads and still held on to the ball before one of the opposing players came around and tackled him 
would that have happened if Hopkins was there? I don't think it is, Charles, because you've still got AJ Green, Christian Kirk, Zach Ertz all out there. And I mean, you know, it's not Hopkins, but those three receivers right there are probably better than the starting receivers for at least four or five teams. So no, I don't think it is. And I think that it's a lack of creativity in play calling, which is making it almost too easy for defences to cover what's out there. And so does the issue for the Cardinals now become they've made playoffs for the first time in a very long time. They're probably thinking they're happy with their head coach. And actually, should they be thinking the head coach might be the issue here? I think it's probably premature to be talking like that. I would say that the leash is getting shorter, though. It's two seasons straight now where the Cardinals have just had a nosedive in the second half of a season. It's, you know, an abomination once, but for it to happen twice, then you've really got questions there. The fact they're still making playoffs, the fact they're competing in the extremely competitive NFC West, you know, that saves you a little bit. But I don't think the Cardinals can have another season like this next season for uh, Cliff Kingsbury to survive. He won't get sacked. I'm, I feel relatively sure saying that, but the leash is shorter. Now, just talking about sacks quickly, I'm going to keep on going back to this over and over again. Mike McCarthy, what are we thinking now, Charles? Because just in context, two of the coordinators who have been talked about the most in the league right now, Kellen Moore and Dan Quinn, the OC and the DC of the Cowboys. Now, if Moore starts to get interviewed by other teams and the Cowboys are thinking, hey, actually, he's our future guy, do they have to pull the trigger on Mike McCarthy quicker and just put more in there to save him from going to be head coach of Raiders or the Vikings or the Broncos? Oh, that is a very good question. Um, it is a tough one because he's got them to the playoffs this season. But again, absolutely disastrous performance against the 49ers. I would say that getting to the playoffs for the Cowboys, it's not the same as getting to the playoffs for other teams because the Cowboys are in such a bad division. It should almost go without saying you're going to make playoffs because you've only got Washington football team who are a joke, the Giants who are a joke, and the Eagles who aren't very good. So you should be getting to the playoffs every year. And, you know, no disrespect to him, but you've lost to Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> He was very serviceable. But but again, we keep saying this about Jimmy, serviceable quarterback. You haven't been beaten by a lights-out MVP. You should be doing better as the Cowboys. And the amount of cap that the Cowboys have spent on that O-line, uh, yeah. I mean, if it was me, having spent several years supporting Mike McCarthy as a head coach... I do think there's something lacking there. And I, and, and I think for the Cowboys, they would be better served potentially looking towards their OC. I don't think it will happen, but I think that potentially is the smart move. I think it is genuinely a risk now. And I'd say it's primarily the Kellen Moore factor. Kellen Moore is right now one of the hottest names in coaching. I'm not saying that he should be. I'm not saying that he shouldn't be, but he is. Because the Cowboys' overhyped offense is getting talked about so much, he's one of the names that is being linked to a lot of the vacancies which are out there. The Cowboys must think, they must like him. They must see his potential. And I think that there must be some people within the organization who probably had him in mind as a long-term head coach option. Things are happening quicker than they wanted now. Are they going to keep him or is he going to go? And... You've got to look, do you want to go with Mike McCarthy and kind of what you've seen out of him for the last two years? Do you want to go 
and keep with that for another couple of seasons? Or do you just want to pull the trigger now and make the moves you have to do to keep Kellen Moore? Interesting options there. But I'm sure we'll be seeing more of that in the coming days. Absolutely. And then, Joe, let's finish off talking about the 49ers on the flip side of that, because I think it's what many would call an upset. But can they go any further? They're going to have to go up against Green Bay now. And I think they've suffered some quite key injuries in that Cowboys game. I just don't see it now, Charles, unfortunately. I I could see them causing an upset as the underdogs. I think that going to Green Bay, going to Lambeau, a rested Green Bay side who are going to be chomping at the bit. The injuries that the 49ers had, you know, Bosa, Fred Warner. If you could say, what is your key piece on the line? It's Bosa. Who is the key piece in the linebackers? Fred Warner. You've you've lost two absolute key defensive pieces there. And then you've got to go and play Aaron Rodgers. I, I, I just don't see it happening. And actually, in fact, I would probably say that that is one of the games I have probably most certainty. If one game is a lock for me, it's Green Bay plus whatever the spread is. I'm not giving 49ers much of a chance at all. And I know that as a Green Bay fan, you'll probably play things down and say, oh yeah, but I've seen Green Bay play bad and and you know the 49ers will think they'll have a chance. But don't be humble on it, Chaz, unless you really think something different. Uh, no, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. I don't want to appear to be that arrogant Green Bay fan, but I think you've correctly highlighted how key they are to this team. And we've spoken again about this defence being the backbone for this 49ers team because they don't have a lights-out offence. They have a, a very well-knit functioning offense but it's not the key to their success their defense is so important we talk about how they're a team that likes to play in the lead rather than coming from behind and again the defense is a large part of that they're two key pieces I I think it's going to be difficult the only devil's advocate thing that I would say to this is they were 17 nil down against the Rams in a must-win game to make playoffs and won that key game. That's going to give them confidence that, you know, if Rodgers does go out and put two scores up early doors, they're 14 nil down, that they can turn it over. Yeah. I'm not saying that's going to ultimately kind of change things, but there is just that little bit of confidence that they would have taken from that. But look, I think this one could get a bit ugly and I don't see anyone but Green Bay winning that game. Yeah, so Joe... Game of next week then, what are you looking forward to? I think that most people's answer will be the Bills and the Chiefs. And I think that I'm just not going to say that because I don't want to get my hopes up too much for that game. Like I said, I think there's reasons why it may not be as explosive as we're hoping. So a matchup which is always interesting, Brady and the Rams, Buccaneers and the Rams. We've got two very strong defences there. And I think that this is going to be one slightly more for the purist. But I'm intrigued at how that one's going to play out. Yeah, and it'll be nice to see Aaron Donald in a divisional round where, you know, he's not injured, he's not limited. I, I agree. I think that's going to be a, a fascinating game. Because there's a huge question there, as we've seen the injuries we mentioned to Worths and Jensen. That Bucks O-line, which has been so strong, so effective at looking after Brady, we saw actually in the second half of the Eagles game, the Eagles, who have a middling defense, were getting to Brady over and over again. They sacked him up. I think three times on third down. Donald and the Rams have a better defense than the front seven of the Eagles. That is going to be pivotal. And if the makeshift O-line for the Bucks, whoever's playing, whoever's not playing, whoever's coming in, if they don't really front up, things could start to get messy. And we saw what happened 
in quarter three of the Bucks Green Bay game last year, the uh, championship game there, what happened when Green Bay put pressure on Brady for a quarter? It fell to pieces. So I'm not sure what the point spread is. I would imagine the Bucks are probably slight favourites. It could even be scratch. But if Donald's getting to Brady, this could be a one-way game. Yeah, fantastic shout. All right then, Joe. Well, we've got four games to look forward to this weekend and I will catch up with you next week. Looking forward to it, Charles. See you next week.